0: Our first reading comes from Colossians chapter 1 and reading from verse 1 to the end of verse 8. Colossians chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 8. Excuse me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, Friends, if you could turn with me again to the wonderful book of Colossians. Following on of course from our reading before so that will be Colossians chapter 1 and starting at verse 9 and I'm going to be reading through to verse 14. So I'm going to be reading from verse 9 and through to verse 14. Let's hear from God's word. For this reason since the day we heard about you we have not stopped praying for you. who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the deep, deep love of Jesus. And we thank you for your wonderful word that speaks all about him. And Father, we pray that you would implant your word deep in our hearts now so we might know him and that we might live for him. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're commenting on the body of believers that had recently formed in a city inland from Ephesus Theologian J.B. Lightfoot wrote, Without doubt, the least important church to which any epistle of Paul was ever addressed was the one in Colossae. Now friends, as we begin our series in this wonderful letter, one that hundreds of books and commentaries and papers have been written, indeed a letter that for many is their favourite, myself included, why would Mr. Lightfoot say such a thing? Well, friends, when you do a little digging, here's what you quickly discover. When that ancient clock ticked over from B.C. to A.D., the small city of Colossae was on the decline. Indeed, so insignificant was it that first century historians hardly even give it a mention. And when the area was hit by a huge earthquake in A.D. 60, in came Rome to help rebuild the nearby centres of Laodicea, And Heropolis, while poor old Colossi was pretty much left to their own devices. Suffice to say, when it came to first century holiday destinations, Colossi never made the glossy brochure. Okay, so it was a rundown town. What about the church that met there? What do we know about it? Well, just like our secular historians, the biblical writers bypass this place as well. Not a word from Luke in Acts, as Paul never sets foot there in any of his missionary journeys. Nor does Colossi get a Guernsey in those seven letters to the churches in Revelation. Indeed, friends, the only way that we know that this church exists at all comes from Paul's words in verse 2 to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. But friends, given Paul didn't plant this church, indeed as he writes over in chapter 2 verse 1, has never met any of them personally, how is it that Paul can go on to write to them as if he has? Well, have a look again at what Paul goes on to say in the very next verse. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Okay, so who has informed Paul about their faith and love? And more to the point, who established them in this faith and love in the first place? Well, friends, all is revealed down in verse 7. Have another look down there. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has told us of your love in the Spirit. So putting the pieces of the puzzle together, this faithful little church has recently sprung up in this falling down town through the faithful ministry of Paul's good friend Epaphras. And having heard Paul is doing another stint in the slammer, stuck in jail, chapter 4, verse 18, Paul's good mate takes some time out to visit him and give him an update on how the gathering is going. And having been given the inside scoop, Paul then responds by putting pen to parchment. And friends, we often don't think about this, but what a treasure it is to have this letter, this letter in our possession, this inspired response penned by the apostle from his prison cell 2,000 years ago to this little church. And as we open it and begin to read it, It's pretty clear from Paul's first paragraph that what he has heard from his friend has put a smile on his face, hasn't it? Paul thanks God for them, verse 3, because this church has the stuff. It has the core ingredient that shows that they are the real deal. Faith in Christ evidenced by love for one another, verse 4. As Jesus himself said, this is how that you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The only thing that matters, writes Paul to the Galatians, is faith expressing itself through love. And because this key ingredient is clearly evident, Paul begins by warmly encouraging them that although they are a little church in an isolated run-down town, they are in reality part of a momentous, miraculous movement of God. Have a look at verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. And so, friends, we see Paul's burden, his emphasis as he begins, is to encourage them. That while everyone else gives Colossae a wide berth, God hasn't. No, it is abundantly clear that the gospel seed has come, it has landed in good soil, and it has begun to sprout. And that is evidenced, of course, by this change that's happened in them, this change from lovers of self to lovers of others. And this simple but profound switch in focus wrought by the Spirit, verse 8, is all I need to hear, writes Paul, to know that you are in the faith. Now friends, as we take in Paul's opening encouragement here, where where he pinpoints this key observable ingredient, this key sort of ingredient of orthodoxy, It's important to ask before we move on, is this key ingredient true of our fellowship? Could Paul write a similar opening to us? Could he, would he write verse 4 to our church? To you as an individual? Because without faith expressing itself through love... Be assured, writes Paul to another church starting with C, that you are nothing more than noise, a sounding gong, clashing cymbals. Without love, we are nothing and gain nothing. And so, as we begin, the question that comes to us from this first paragraph. Is where is your love focused? Is it focused inward or is it focused outward? Well, as it's the latter for this church, Paul knows and encourages them that the gospel seed has arrived, it has landed in good soil and it has sprouted. But in keeping with the metaphor, this new little plant needs some fertilizer. Have a look at verse 9 as Paul continues. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, friends, that's a pretty big sentence. That's quite a mouthful. And so to help us get a handle on it, look at what Paul says right in the middle, because that's the key. His priority in prayer is for a filling, isn't it? that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And friends, this makes perfect sense when we think about the nature of this church in that not only is this little gathering full of new converts, but these new converts are primarily Gentiles. They're not Jews. So they have no grounding at all in the scriptures. Everything is new for them. And as this is the first century, they can't sort of get themselves up to speed by going down the road and picking up a Bible from Kev's bookshop. And so at the very top of Paul's prayer list is that their lack of knowledge about God and his will might be filled. Look as Paul continues to tell them, telling us why our minds filled with good theology is so important in the life of a believer, verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, friends, see the flow here? The filling, verse 9, is for the purpose, and it's always for the purpose of applying, verse 10. PhDs in theology are useless. and Dare I say dangerous if the only external sign of all of that Bible knowledge is new big fancy words and a fancy bit of paper up on the wall. No, God wants us to know him so that we might show him. Not on a wall but in our lives. Pleasing him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good works. Now friends, nowhere is this no to show truth more evident than in Paul's letter to the Romans where after filling their minds for 11 chapters, page after page of deep truths about God, Paul then writes this, have a listen. Therefore I urge you, In his great book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer writes this. Have a listen. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important fact about any person is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he conceives God to be like. For we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Were we able to extract from any person an honest answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. Were we able to know exactly what our most influential religious leaders think of God today? we'd be able with some precision foretell where the church will stand tomorrow. Friends, you have to wonder whether Tozer was meditating on verses 9 and 10 of Colossians when he penned those words. And as we take in his words, as we take in Paul's words, And his first and greatest desire and prayer that this young church would be growing in their knowledge of God. The question comes back at us, doesn't it? Are we growing in our knowledge of God? When was the last time you picked up the word of God, read it, and meditated deeply on it? Who is God to you? Taking up the toes of challenge. What comes into your mind right now when you think about God? Because if that picture is fuzzy, unclear or confused, then chances are no guaranteed your Christian walk during the week is also fuzzy and, confused. and if you can relate to that, then Paul's number one prayer for this new church should also be your number one prayer as well. Speak to me through your word, Lord. Give me a hunger to know you. Fill my mind. Give me an accurate, sharp picture in my mind's eye of who you are. And friends, while Paul doesn't tell us what should then come into view when we pray a prayer like that, he does give a picture, a snapshot, over in chapter 2, verse 2. Have a look at it. He writes, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In the beginning, writes John, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Hebrews chapter 1. Our friends, when we think about God, a concept shouldn't come to mind, but a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Now, before you say, well, that's great, Pete, but that's not much of a feeling. My, my, my mind needs more than just a name. More information, please. Well, Friends, if you look down at verse 15, you'll see from that heading, that's exactly what Paul gives next. Indeed, verses 15 to 20 is one of the fullest, clearest descriptions of Jesus in the entire Bible. And so Paul prays for a filling and then he wastes no time in giving them a full cup. But that's for next time. For now, Paul is laying the groundwork, prepping them as he prays for them. I hope you're ready, because a big download is coming. But friends, before that download comes, Paul has one more big prayer point for them. Because living a life for Christ isn't simply a case of mind over matter. No, their strength, my strength, your strength, isn't enough strength to live for him, no matter how well you know him. But there is a strength that guarantees we will live for him. Verse 11, have a look as Paul continues. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, And joyfully giving thanks to the Father. The prophet Isaiah wrote er, uh, centuries earlier Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Now friends, both Paul and Isaiah saw and wrote that God doesn't just renew our minds, but he also renews our strength. How strong is this strength that he gives us? Well, have a listen to how Paul explains it to the Ephesians. I pray that you might know God's incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So God works in the believer with the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. But how does this divine strength manifest in us? What are these new spiritual muscles we have and how do we flex them? Well, to begin, we can rule out some sort of superhuman strength because Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me while wasting away in a jail cell. And we can also rule out good health. Because Paul's understudy, Timothy, had a weak, weak constitution. Okay, so what's left? In what way does God empower us? Well, it's right there in the passage, isn't it? By giving us endurance and patience. In other words, his power manifests in the ability to persevere. It's a strength given from above to keep us going when things get tough, no matter how tough. It's the ability to stick with Christ in the fire when the world and the flesh and the devil are taking their best shot. For the believer is gifted with a greater power than all of those three combined such that no opposition can take you down can rip your hope from you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the power that Paul is referring to right here. A power captured so well by that passage in Isaiah that I read out before. Because as the trial comes, as it hits, what does God do for you as you access his divine power? Well, just like an eagle, he lifts you above it. Not in the sense that we are soaring happily away, untouched, unaffected by the trial. Now, we know it. We feel it all right. But the lifting God does as on eagle's wings is a lifting so we can see more than just the trial see more than just what we're going through. It down there, us above with eyes to see the situation from a different perspective, God's perspective, the heavenly perspective. And friends, as the eagle is ultimately held up not by its own strength, but the wind under its wings, so we are lifted above our trials by the breath of God, the Holy Spirit who holds us and guides us and carries us through. Carries us through all the way through to our ultimate destination. And what a destination it is. Look at how Paul gives the Colossians a bird's eye view as he closes. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, in the world's eyes, the Colossians church were a small group of oddbods in a small, insignificant, run-down city. But clearly not in the eyes of the one that matters. For faith in Christ has lifted them from that crumbling city to citizenship in another one. One that is opposite to Colossi in every way imaginable. Is that indestructible city, that kingdom of light, your destination? If so, keep your mind filled and fixed on the Son in whom you have redemption the forgiveness of all your sins and rest in his divine power the power that raised Jesus from the dead and will one day just as surely raise you let's pray our heavenly father we thank you for inspiring Paul to write this This wonderful letter to this new church. We thank you, Father, for the reminder of what you do in us by your Spirit when we put our hope in you, changing us from self love to love for others. And Heavenly Father, as Paul prays for a continued growth in that church, to grow in the knowledge of who you are found in your Son, Lord, we pray that our minds might not be lazy. There are so many things that we can fill our minds with. So help us, Lord. Give us impetus, new encouragement to fill our minds with your wonderful truth. And Heavenly Father, I don't know what people are going through here this morning, but Lord, I pray that they might know that divine strength that you give us to see us through. Give us those eyes to see where we're heading, Lord. A wonderful, glorious, eternal, indestructible kingdom secured through Jesus' death for us and the redemption that that has brought for us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.